Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We have hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. And when you visit the website, you'll see the various subscription options so that you can get fresh content from Business Creators Radio served to you on the syndication network of your choice. So today we're going to have some fun. This is a topic that me not really being a numbers guy is something that I sometimes need a little help with. I know how to use analytical tools. I know how to read the data. I know how to extrapolate hypotheses and conclusions to generate new plans and better results, obviously, because it's what I do. Uh, on the other hand, I've gotten good at this simply because I've had the opportunity to learn from people like the gentleman you're about to meet. His name is Rick Lindbergh. He is, uh, his website is ricklindberg.com. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Rick Lindbergh is a freelancer who helps global organizations with business intelligence and team development based on coaching, metrics, and KPIs. He's a deep technical data nerd who understands the desire to just replace the tool and process to get better results. Having worked within business intelligence for 22 years, it's taught him that it's never about the tool. The path to better and lasting change requires leadership way more than tolls. So I'm on this bandwidth, believe me. He sees the best in everyone around him and strives to inspire on a person-to-person -person level. More than anything, Rick cares deeply about those he humbly serves. His goal in life and business is to help people connect to their work as well as to the people that matter to them. He himself has been podcasting for more than five years about self-leadership, focus, and relationship building on the show Relationship Power at Work, and has now turned a beginner, a beginner YouTuber helping parents better connect to their computer gamer children. We might have a moment for that. Let's see how it goes. Rick Lindbergh, come on in. The weather's fine. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, Adam. All right. Well, let me tell you something. Having read off your official bio there, I am not even sure that I am worthy to be in your in the same conversation with you. And this is my show. Uh, so already, well, I've been listening to you for a long time, Adam. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm humbled you. to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness. So before we dive into what you have to share with us today, and I know it's uh, pretty considerable because uh, we have a lot of things we want to cover in our, in our hour together. What we'd like to do first is take a step back. I imagine that by now a few of our listeners are leaning in. They've opened separate browser tabs. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, trying to find this Rick Lindbergh guy, and they're going to ricklindbergh.com to discover more. So let's take a quick step and tell us a little bit more about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Well, for me, it's been a ping pong game, really. I've been, I'm 45 years old right now and uh, love what I do. And I've been lucky to do that my entire life. But 
it, I didn't see the path. This is the path I'm going to travel. It's been a lot of <laughs> surprises and detours and mistakes and learnings from that. I started out wanting to build computers and figure out how computers work because I kind of hid from humans and strange behavior and stuff like that. Yeah. But after a while, because you, to me, computers were easier than humans. But after a while, I realized that it's, it's a soft skill game. You have to yeah. have empathy for your people to get change to happen. Having the best tool around doesn't work. You have to have a good tool and the leadership and empathy for the people you're serving. So strugglingly and resisting that change, I stepped up maybe 20 years ago or something. Yeah. Great, great, great. So we have... Um, a path that you want us to take to take us through. So we're going to sort of follow your lead here. There are a number of different points that you want me to cover, which is great. And uh, because you are such a subject, subject matter expert when it comes to this area and you're bringing to us a new point of view on how to use analytics, uh, we're going to kind of take this in the order that you're recommending. And we may have some sidebars we go along, but I encourage all of our listeners to have a pad of paper and two pens at the ready to capture any aha moments. And quick rule here, always have two pens. Because just <laughs> when you're writing down that, that, that zinger of an aha moment that's going to make your entire hour with Business Creators Radio Show worth the investment, that's the moment that your pen dies or breaks or it does that thing where for some reason it just doesn't want to write. You know what happens sometimes you're trying to sign the check at the restaurant or your cat will jump up on the table and run off with it, which has happened to me a number of times. So uh, make sure you have that in play and uh, you'll gain a lot from what we're about to share. So first of all, Rick, uh, why should you treat everyone you meet as a volunteer to lock their to unlock rather their potential well um i've studied a lot from peter drucker and he he has a quote to say that you have to accept to treat everyone you meet as a volunteer and he wrote that maybe 50 years ago or something right uh when the knowledge worker was kind of a new thing Myself, I'm adding that we can't pay someone to unlock their potential. It can only be reached by trust, volunteering, and enrollment. And that is because right now, as a leader, we're living in a fast-changing world. The, the people who are the closest to the information will have to step up uh, in a way that we as a leader will never be able to keep up with. And that can only be built on trust and enrollment you can't uh, if you're fighting for compliance and everyone's feeling in their uh, feeling with duty feel, sitting in this uh, seat and doing mind work uh, you will never know what they are capable of or what competence they could bring to the table that they're not volunteering the only way to do that is to build a relationship with them right I, I couldn't agree more. So with that in mind, um, what do you view as the true key to success? Empathy with uh, the people you're truly serving, which are clients and employees. So, and you have to empathy, have to empathy for both and not just the, as a business owner or uh, you have a, the best name ever for your show, Business Creator, because I think you. you create businesses uh, out of thin air as an owner. But 
our employees see things different and our customers see things very different. And we have to dare to have empathy with that and dare to argue out loud why we might be wrong in our worldview or the position we've chosen to serve them from. Yeah, And that goes back to unlocking the potential. If we're unaware of what our people could do for our clients and we're not using that for them, their own level up as well as the benefit of our customers, we're wasting so much potential. And usually people leave if we don't see that potential either or don't stretch them towards that potential. Right. Right. You know, just a funny story. The reason it's actually called the Business Creators Radio Show, our original plan was to call it the Business Builders Radio Show when we were conceiving this and uh, an organization called the Business Builders Institute in the summer of 2012. And the following is not a political statement. It's just simply a matter of what happened. Right around the time the President of the United States, Barack Obama, decided to say that, uh, at least according to some people who quoted him, that entrepreneurs didn't build their businesses or you didn't build that. So it kind of messed up everything that we were planning in terms of search engine marketing around the idea of a business builders Institute or a business builders radio show. So we changed the name business creators Institute business creators radio show. Sometimes when you're in a market where it seems like something or someone is taking up a lot of your oxygen, you can get a breath of fresh air by simply going to a thesaurus and changing the name. It's funny how that works. Because our goal was for somebody to be able to type Business Creators Radio Show into any search engine and have our show come up as number one with a bullet in the search engine results. So just a little funny story behind that, because uh, you mentioned the, the name of our show. And sometimes it's based on little things like that, the great destinies are created. So uh, this is kind of a, uh, a little bit sidebar topic here, Rick, but in your work, because we've discussed bringing out people's potential, we've discovered the keys to success, we're touching on the distinction between tools and people, that it's never about the tool. Uh, in what ways have you seen the power of language impact the work that you do? A lot. First of all, I have to be humble and say I'm Swedish. English isn't my native language. Uh, oh. and I stumble every now and then, and I have to be aware of that, that I can misuse <laughs> something. The other day, I, I got told by a coworker of mine that the word insight is uh, like to sort of to fill with energy or make a ruckus isn't really a good word to use. Um, because for me, it means something totally different. So. The words are really powerful. And when we talk about un having empathy with our clients and our customers, we have to use their words. Otherwise, even if you're, you know they need a certain medicine, if that doesn't resonate with them, they're not going to understand what you're saying and they're not going to care or, and think you're addressing them. And of course, also in the game, the words we tell ourselves. Yeah. That it's worth the challenge. It's worth stepping up. I can do this. The words are extremely important. And I think we quite often forget the last part yeah. ourselves. <laughs> True. True. You know, there's, um, this is, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and bring this up because it just shows how, because uh, you mentioned uh, using the word insight. Uh, I found out a couple years ago that there's a word that exists in both English and Swedish, 
It's spelled, oh, a cer- it's spelled a certain way, but it has two very, very different meanings. Um, the word is spelled S-L-U-T. In Swedish, that means, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it means final, Ending. the end, yeah, yes. Yeah. In English, it means something a lot different. So yeah. <laughs> I, just wanted, yeah. I just wanted to point that out because I, yeah. I do have a couple good Swedish friends and uh, we've had many laughs over this thing. Yeah, and uh, you're spot on, Adam. It's perfect because if I think, if I'm, say, I'm a copy editor or something and I use that because I don't think how to, how to end a promo or something, and I basically put a feeling in your mouth, of course. Yep. You won't know what has happened and I won't know what has happened, but the feeling with you will linger and I'm clueless as to why I didn't get that, whatever assignment yeah. it was. Yeah, you and I can laugh over it because we're both clued into it. But uh, for somebody who's not aware of that little thing, uh, that could lead to some gigantic misunderstandings. Uh, yeah, I if, even if I'm uncl- sorry for interrupting you, but even if I'm I am aware of it, I have the knowledge that it means two different things. Yeah, my habits. I could just copy paste something Swedish, just edit it, and not realizing that I'm blind to something and leaving yeah. it in. Right, 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 right. Very, very true. Uh, and, and again, I bring that up because we're just speaking about the power of making small changes that can, or small edits that can make big changes through the power of language. And since we are getting into uh, team development and things like that, it's part of the stage we're setting here. So again, and we are laying some groundwork here, this uh, does lead to a denouement. Uh, what power do you find in mentoring others based on your experience? <laughs> so many. First, I think uh, we're really the um, direct uh, expectation of our peer group. And I think mentoring there really, really helps us by having someone who's walked the path, done the work, hard work, sees the challenge for what it is, can really help us level up. But I also quite often see that a lot of people are investing a lot of time, especially calendar time, trying to find the best mentor, trying to find yet another coach instead of just stepping up and doing the work that they're here to do. Um, it could easily be something we hide behind or procrastinate. And um, then I think we can mentor ourselves. We have so much things online today. For example, your podcast. If people tune into that regularly and having you as sort of a distant mentor, they can still level up themselves. And I think um, I, I mentor people and I coach for a living. So I do believe in that trade, but a lot of people think someone else is going to change their life and then they stand in waiting to get a slot of my time instead of saying, well, I'll, I'll get what I need somewhere else and keep moving forward. Does that make sense? It makes what do you think, Adam? It, make, it makes dollars and cents. And, um, and you know, I've, uh, I've had some discoveries when it comes to mentoring as well. Uh, and a lot of the mentoring that I do in practical terms has to do with getting people up to speed as quickly as possible with a process. So this is not something that anybody can hire me for because this is something where I literally reach out in the interwebs and cherry pick. But for a few select, and some of these people are named, so I'm not going to say who they are, uh, I do some ghostwriting. And 
to be able to write in that person's voice, I actually have requirements when it comes to working with folks. First of all, there's a 45-day trial period uh, if we enter that type of relationship. That's the first thing to bear in mind. And what the goal is within 30 days for me to become the master of speaking in that person's voice. And there's a process they need to agree to go through in order for me to achieve that mastery, which is for anything that uh, I write that goes out in their voice, whether it's through emails, blog posts, or what have you, for the first two weeks, I draft it and then submit it to them, and they show me what edits it needs and send it back as approved so that I can give it to whoever is actually going to be posting it. For the two weeks after that, um, I have it sent out without their input, but then they give their input on the back end after they've already seen it go out. After that, they have no input on the process at all. So basically, it gives me a very quick learning curve, a very steep learning curve to master their voice very quickly. And it's also important for the clients because if you're looking for somebody to be able to write in your own voice and communicate in your own style, that's because you're supposed to be have a level of detachment from it. And if you're jumping in and fussing and fretting over every single little word saying, oh, that's not exactly my voice, uh, you'll never achieve any success engaging somebody and being able to multiply yourself by teaching somebody how to speak in, in your voice and communicate in your voice. So, you know, once or twice a year, somebody might goof something up or you know, sporadically might say something that, you know, you look at and you say, you know, that's really not really something I'd say, but you also have to gain sort of a, a tolerance for the fact that maybe a couple times a year, you'll have to go to your ghostwriter and say, you know, I saw this and this is okay, but this is really not something that I would say. So just avoid this particular phrase in the future. Uh, another part of my um, induction process, I actually have them write down phrases they commonly use and phrases they would never say. So for example, and I'm going to make a big revelation here that's going to shock absolutely nobody. Uh, some of the content that goes out through my social media channels is drafted by somebody else. One thing they know is to never say traffic to your website because everybody who follows me knows that I believe that the last thing you need or want in your business is traffic to your website. So if I there's some blog post under my name that uh, tells people how to get more traffic to their website. They're going to know I didn't write it. So the point I bring up with this, Rick, and, uh, and again, this is partially for your feedback as well, because I want to get your thoughts on it, is uh, some of the real world stuff that goes into mentoring. It's not always off a template. It's sometimes using what's actually going on in the world and leveraging that to your advantage to help everybody move forward faster. Yeah, I think... I think it's really important that we, as you said, with using the words earlier, having empathy for the people of your clients who, who they're serving. So if you have to understand what's going on there and in their head, well, what do people like them do? And of course, that's going to be different if for between client A, B, and C. Right. And um, I love what you're saying with, I have this pulse, as you said, First couple of months, we do it like this, and then we do it like this, and then we do it like this. And because that means if you're doing business with me, this is the way I do it. This is my pulse. And uh, the great book, The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey, 
if you can, if you teach your clients, this is how I operate because that this is what I believe is the most effective way to serve you and serve your people. They too step up. They know I have this game window where I can give feedback in this way. After that, I'm going to, uh, before you send it out, after that, I'm going to give you feedback because we're still tuning. Everything is about tuning all the right. time. Then I'm looking at the data with the things you ship without asking me beforehand. And then we yeah. tune that. And after a while, I'm so happy with your message to my people. I trust you for life. It also... But, but we don't start there. Right. <laughs> we never do. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. What's also interesting about my process is it helps to uh, it helps to nip certain things in the bud because there are some folks who listen to a coaching call somewhere and we're told they have to train somebody to be able to write their stuff for them, uh, but they themselves are nowhere near ready for it. So if they find that they actually in real time cannot work with that practice, that reveals one of two things: either they're just not in a place where they're able to delegate that or able to partner with somebody on that. Or, and again, it could be more than two things, but the two things I've discovered for the ones that haven't worked out is, you know, A, they're not able to, able to delegate that, not able to trust somebody else. And uh, the other issue that sometimes comes up is that they don't actually know their own voice, meaning the client does not know their own voice and needs to go through a process of finding their own voice. Yeah, and I think that, it's also why it's so great to hire, hire a real ghostwriter. A lot of people hire a virtual assistant uh, for like a tenth of the price or even lower and thinking I'm getting the same thing because it's all behind the scenes, but it's not. Right. What you're describing is I know what's effective for the way I want to work and I'm going to be very clear for how that's going to serve you. And so we both can understand, are we right for each other? Because you are choosing your clients and your clients is choosing you. And the faster you can figure out if, if you're a match, the better both of you are. And, and right. it's also the position you're serving. Am I saying, well, I'm going to charge you up front for the article I'm writing or I'm going to share the risk by saying I'm, I'm going to write I've chosen you because I love what you're doing for the world I'm going to share the risk by saying we split what you're making off this article right it's, it's two different ways to approach a client that both are great but it's really going to affect the relationship you're building Right, right, right. So this may seem like a little bit of a tangent to those of you who are listening to this, but we wanted to have this conversation. Rick and I went through some of this because we wanted to just give you a little bit of a taste of what mentoring sometimes means in real time. Uh, you may have attended whatever coaching university and have a sense of what mentorship is supposed to be, or you might have read some textbook, but then you have the human being or human beings directly in front of you who you who are looking to you for mentorship and guidance or you may be that person looking for mentorship and guidance and in reality and the way things happen in real time it often looks different than that yeah and i think also uh well, I, I do call myself a coach but i think it's right. a really old title right now that is so vague 
you have yeah. so many different coaches and so ev- everyone is calling themselves a coach and i think yeah. my advice to your listeners is stand up for what you believe in choose right. a coach but if it's not working for you if you don't see the results you're going it, you owe it to yourself to say no sorry this isn't working and it's right. the same thing with the ghost writing it's the same thing with any kind of suppliers or vendors or um co-worker that you have it's really important that you evaluate yourself is this actually working and of course a coach is there to challenge you and make you expand your comfort zone it's going to be uncomfortable but there's a difference between being uncomfortable and i trust the process or uncomfortable i don't know where you're heading with this Right, 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 right. You know, um, I used to do I used to do some copywriting too. I used to be a copywriter, and at the same time, I had this one client. Uh, this and this is about almost ten years ago, and I this client wanted to review everything before it went out because I think they were paranoid over uh, a period being missing somewhere. I mean, it was something along those lines, and I wrote stuff and sent it to them and it would get stuck in some kind of review queue or, you know, they just weren't getting around to it. And then two weeks later I would hear back, this is the feedback I would get. I don't like this, do it again. And I would do something else. Then I'd wait. And then after about the third time of the cycle, they would say, look, I really don't have time to train you on how to be a copywriter. You need to produce something I like. And I said, okay, we're done here. They're like, Good. what? They're like, what? You're, we're done? I said, yeah, because I'm not going to throw spaghetti at the wall and keep guessing, uh, and I don't need you to train me either. What I need to know is what it is that you're looking for. Uh, So by letting me know specifically what you don't like, we then peel back layers that will get us closer to what you will like. And the sooner we get there, the sooner you're going to begin to experience the success, the revenues, and the profits that our work together is supposed to be generating for you. Bear in mind that while I'm waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for you to get around to reviewing my stuff and then just saying, well, I don't like it, do it again, I have other clients for whom I'm writing stuff, I submit it to them, and then I don't, get, I don't hear back from them either but I do find out that uh, they gave it to their web person who put it up on a web page and they're already out going out making money with it less than 36 hours later with no edits to my work. So I'm getting lots of results with lots of clients and that's where I'm going to gravitate. So would you like to give me some constructive feedback? Yeah, and <laughs> they and they still and they still chose no. So as you said, they were gone. Now I've I've had other cases where I've had um I've had other you know scenarios not too far removed from that, and the client did hear the points, and things ended up going extremely well. So mentorship, the other point I wanted to make is doesn't always you know, move downward. It's not always from an authority figure to a subordinate or from a leader to a follower. Mentoring can go the other way too. Yeah, um, you said so many smart things there, Amlo. So I'd like to address your mentoring question later. But what what you said there, you're really training or teaching your clients. This is how I want to work. And if you tell me, no, this is what not what I was hoping for or expecting, that's really hard for me to do better. 
because I still don't know what better looks like from your perspective. So you're training them, you're mentoring them, even if they're not hired you as a mentor or a coach there, you're coaching them into how to make better happen. And um, also, as you said earlier, but I'm, I'm leaving for another client. The invisible feedback there is if you're standing for behavior like this, you're teaching your clients, I don't have a choice. I have to cling on to what I have. But if right. you're saying, no, sorry, this is not how I work. I need you to be specific. Yeah. How does better look like? What should we do differently? What should we keep? What should we change? Yeah. Then I'm ready to give you this tomorrow in a new version. But if you only say no, sorry, I will not invest my time, as you said, guessing flinging spaghetti on the wall. Yeah. That's not going to make you happy either because if I invest my precious minutes into guessing what you want, neither of us are likely to be happy. Right. Uh, and going back to the mentoring thing, I think it's important for all of your listeners when you choose a mentor or a coach, it's not just about money. As you said, trickling downstream. It's not that you pay someone for coaching, basically, um, um, I get this a lot. I want your success in this area. I want this. I want to go your journey here and here. Well, that the best way to build a relationship with a coach is to find a coach where the coaching goes both ways. The best way to illustrate that is having a big gender gap between two people. The senior people, the senior coach, usually the one called the mentor or coach, shares wisdom and experience and the the young adept or adeptee shares tech knowledge and you know uh, energy or something so you have a giving in both directions money only goes one way but this way you can find the best of the best mentors out there because you're gonna help them do better too and that that's gonna make them return to keep helping you level up Right. Because okay. if it's only one way, they're only doing it for the money, and you don't want to coach like that. Yeah, very true. So um, I'd like to go back to something that we shared about you very early on as we transitioned into, uh, you know, we've laid a lot of groundwork about mentoring over the, in the first half of this, and now we want to get into how we use the analytics and team development. Uh, you have shared many times, Rick, that there is a desire when a tool doesn't work to just replace the tool in the process. Uh, and I believe, correct me if I'm mistaken, that that can be considered short-sighted thinking. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, my thought on that is have empathy for, as you said, if you only get the feedback that, uh, no, do it again, it's, it's, it's exactly the same thing with replacing a tool. Right. Quite often, we know we're in pain. We know we're losing money in something, analytics tells us great things about the organization or the revenue flow or something like that. But we, that doesn't mean we know what to do with it. And quite often what I find within the IT sector is, well, we need a better tool. We need this. Or we need this. And then people hide behind that change. Right. Instead, as I just said, don't wait for finding a better mentor or a new coach. Start learning today, start evaluating, start testing today. I think quite often we buy a new tool and then only after 
investing say half a year to learn that tool or to get it in place if it's a big organization um, and in a real big organization I've been working for global organizations where it takes multiple years to get that you, you tell your boss well the new boss the new metrics isn't in place and you get off the hook or you say well we're still having problem adapting you know in the, in the intersection about this and this uh, and you're off the hook instead of saying well Quite often, it's an organizational pain or it's a leadership thing, and that's going to remain. You're, gonna use, you're just delaying that insight for half a year or something, or, or a couple of years, and then perhaps you have new people who, have, who don't have the old knowledge, and they're going out changing a new tool again. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. What's yours? Um, I think that, I think they were pretty much in alignment on this overall. And, you know, as, you, as you've said, you know, it goes back to mentoring and it goes back to empathy. So I think these are things to, uh, to keep in mind. Now, you've also shared that, you know, with your over two decades working with business intelligence, you've discovered that it's never, well, I think, I think it's a general statement, but it, I think it still holds up, is it's never really about the tool, but the path to better and lasting change requires a level of leadership that's way more than tools like we've already spoken about up until now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I am a data nerd, so I love tools and I love data. Yeah. So of course you, if you have a sensor that can pick up 15 things versus picking up three, of course, go for the one that can pick up 15 things. Yeah. Um, more data is usually better, but quite often we hide behind that. We have, 15 metrics, but we're not really using anyone. Then getting right. 20 metrics won't change a thing for you. You have to figure out which is my top three KPIs that's really going to change things for me. Oh, and yeah. if, you're, if you're unable to do that math or, and, or that dance with tension as a leader, with 15, 20 is just going to make it worse for you. Right. So here's, uh, so here's my... Uh, my thought on that, uh, and again, I think this comes to uh, tools and data and how we use it, is you think of you think of people that want to make sure that they have their analytics set up on their website and they have their yeah. their pixels and everything else. And I love this emphasis on let's make sure we have the right Google Analytics code. Let's use three different forms of redundant tracking. Let's make sure that all those pixels are set up and they're coded properly. And you know how I can silence those people so quickly and put them into uh, places of deep in introspection is yeah. I'll ask them one question. What precise data are you looking for and what are you planning to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I know you, you started out there as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know you understand that, that business way better than me, Adam. Right. Uh, but I think what, a lot of clients are missing when you say, I want redundancy in three different ways of tracking this. What they're not asking for is no, none of those three will line up perfectly. You will have a short difference. Yes. Uh, and if you don't understand what you're tracking, that's just going to make you weak in your knees and unable to make a decision. It's a lot better to have one tracking to, and act on it, trust it, work with it, experiment and evaluate. The more, if you get more without understanding why you're doing that, exactly as you said, that's just going to make you weaker and slower. 
Right. It, it can also lead to incorrect data. Uh, yeah, let, me, exactly. let, me, let, me get, let me give you an example. Uh, in this day and age, when we put together the technologies we use to do our marketing, we often create these things called marketing stacks. And you have all these APIs going between different technologies, and you're using Zapier to put the zaps to move data from one to the other, and all these other uh, MacGyvering duct tape-like things behind the scenes that look <laughs> seamless term. to the end user. But that's the reality of how it is. I mean, and that's how it's always been. I've been doing this for 15 years, and I've seen the duct tape from the very beginning. Now, uh, one example of this is I, I, and I caught somebody with this once, is they were counting the number of opt-ins that they were getting based on running an ad, and they were basing it on using analytics to count how many times the download page, you know, the page somebody goes to after they answer their name and yeah. email address and click submit, was getting contacted. And they were saying, oh, well, we, uh, we have over 400 opt-ins. And, and, uh, and I was involved in this. So I went and looked into the email marketing system. I said, oh, it says here 198 people are on that list. But no, there's 400. No, there's 198. I'm actually looking at the list. If you like, I can export a CSV and you can see it right now. There's 198. See, you're collecting data and reporting it to the client based on how many people hit the download page. And when you have people who may be bookmarking the download page to go back and see it later, who may be refreshing their browser while on the download page, who may, who may visit the download page once when they opt in and again when they get the email that follows up that says, have you downloaded yet? You're creating a false number of opt-ins. So basically, hate to tell you this, but your ads are worth about half of what you said they were. Yeah, and, and especially if I'm unaware, I don't have the skills to understand this. I take the 400 number as truth. Right. Um, and you have, we talked about tools earlier. The tool could say that, but it's all, quite often we have a human. Well, I'm going to report that number because that makes me look better, right? Uh, yeah. if, I, if I said, you said I had 191, I don't remember, something like that in the list. 198 truth, was the number I used. I didn't, yeah, the, the real good question there that no one might dare to ask is why do we only convert half the people who's shown that interest to go there that's right. the interesting question and if you're not strong in understanding this you know well i'm gonna show the 400 because that's easier to right. explain easier to make me look good versus yeah. Uh, if you and you go, can go back to talking about having a senior copywriter or anything if you have someone with seniority in their role, they're going to tell you the trick question is here is to dare to ask, how do we get more people to sign up to our email list? Right. We don't care how many people go, as you said, you don't, uh, about traffic. We don't really care about how many gets to the page of downloads. If they're not signing up, they're not getting whatever value we wanted to give them. Correct. Uh, and so you're tracking the wrong thing. And Either you're doing that because someone don't want to feel ashamed of not understanding what's going on, or someone want to make themselves look good, or you're not understanding the tools. And that's very human. We're all humans. It's a lot of things I don't understand either in this world. Okay, great. So, um, fantastic. Uh, and the reason I brought up, Rick, the re the, uh, that very, 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 very simple example, I wanted it to be something that everybody could relate to 
on a very simple level. So I use a simple level of, are we tracking opt-ins based on how many people are on the list versus how many people are hitting the download page? The reason I brought that up is because I wanted to crystallize, A, you know, it's great to have analytics and tracking data and everything else, but, you know, what are you looking for? Like, what data do you actually need to move your business? And how are you looking at that data? So we, you covered a lot of things very clearly, which is we need to know what percentage of people who visit that landing page or, or click on that ad opt in. That's, that's one metric. So that, that speaks to percentage of opt-ins. Then we want to know what percentage of people who opt in actually go to download. So if you are seeing 198 opt-ins and 400 hits on the download page, is everybody downloading twice? That's a question we need to ask, and we may need to look at different tracking because some people care how many people who opted in actually download. Some people care about that. Uh, then if your primary goal is actually just to get leads and then nurture the leads in some way over time, then you need to be looking at okay, so how many people actually opted in? So you just need to be looking at the right technology. Looking at hits on the download page may not give you an accurate number, but the actual list of the names and email addresses is about as accurate as you get. Yeah, and, and thanks for clarifying that, Adam. And, and I th that this is a beautiful example, so well chosen, because I totally misunderstood the sequence of that funnel if you say so i thought you got on the downloads page and there you signed up but apparently you're described and this is beautiful when i can say sorry i didn't understand let's talk about that again ah. and then we have contact about the work that matters instead of i go oh man does adam think i'm stupid now because i didn't understand this example and then i hide away and we will never learn together because now I could ask a different question instead of why do we only get half the people to opt in? I can say, this is interesting. Do people share internally the download link? That's great. How do we get them to sign up too? And because now I understand more of the value you just brought to my table. So I have a I have a yeah, I have a colleague who does consulting, and um, since we we're speaking about opt-ins and mailing lists and things like that, I just want to bring up a very brief example before I ask you what may be one of the most important questions this interview. Um, and he was working with uh, a client, and uh, part of the data that that client wanted to have given to them every week, as much as possible, were the names and email addresses of everybody who opted out of their mailing list. And... They actually had reasons why they wanted to know the names and email addresses of people who opted out of the email list because they wanted to know, is this somebody who I've had contact with? Is this somebody who uh, I'm actually working on a relationship with? Is this somebody who's on my target list of influencers I'd like to be in touch with? And I want to see their email address because... I want my message to be penetrating certain companies. And if I see somebody who works at a certain company opting out, I just want to have that intelligence. Okay, those are all fair questions. When you understand your market penetration strategy and how you're using your tools to further that. The extra layer was, and this is what my friend told me, that the first week they ran that report for that client and there were two opt-outs on it, the client thought the world had fallen in. And they actually use the phrase, when anybody opts out of my list, it's a catastrophe. 
Oh, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing. I think. Well, here, let me let me tell you where I was going. Let me tell you where yeah. they were headed with that. And this is where uh, this is where my colleague had a great opportunity to do mentorship and education, helping people understand their data sets. There are many reasons why people opt out of a mailing list, and it doesn't always have to do with we're rejecting the brand. Here are some of the more common ones. Well, I've been following you for a while and I've attended five of your webinars and over the course of time, I've forgotten which email address I used last time. So now I'm getting three copies of your stuff, but I only need the one. So I'm going to unsubscribe from two of them. Another could be, oh, um, you know, I'm, I've gotten a job now. So instead of using my Gmail address, I want to use my work address. Or it could be, uh, I want to keep this stuff out of my work email. So I'm going to opt in through my Gmail and unsubscribe through my work address. So that one works both ways. Sometimes you have people whose email addresses fail, so you have to scrub the list every so often to protect your opt-in rates and the value of your emails because they quit the company. And I don't know about you, Rick, but uh, if I don't know if you've ever like worked for a company and then given your notice or resigned, but I've done it before, and I know that usually one of the the things that is definitely not on anybody's mind when they're getting ready to leave a job is. Let me stop and unsubscribe from all the lists that I've signed up for using my work address before I quit. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm, I might, depending, uh, quite often I move things though. So, yeah. and, I, and I, like you said earlier, I'd like to keep things separate. But I think this is very, very important. A lot of people think uh, more is better. But better is better than more. You do want to understand your list. Uh, and thankfully, we do have wonderful tools who, who helps us see the open rate. And as you said earlier, uh, with uh, being afraid of having people leave the list yeah. without asking ourselves why. And you have three or four really, really good examples that's good for the list. Yeah. They, are, they are cleaning it themselves on your behalf. That's just wonderful. But yeah. also you should do some of analytics yourself to understand what's going on here. Why, who are opening and who aren't? And yeah. I'm quite sure that all of our listeners has received emails. Click here if you want to stay on this list. And you might think that's bad business, but it's not because if you're not clicking on links like that, you're not their target audience. That's correct. That's correct. And here's the other thing too. If you, uh, if you use metrics for vanity, like you say, for example, I have a 20,000 email list, but you're getting 2% open rates. What will happen eventually, sometime sooner than later, and I've dealt with this myself, so I'm speaking firsthand, is because your open rates are so low, your email will get downgraded in its rating and it will start showing up in people's spam boxes instead of their yeah. inboxes. So I viciously and ruthlessly cut 80% of my opt-in subscriber list uh, last year. And my opt-in rates, excuse me, my open rates jumped from 7% to in the 30s. And nice. I saw my emails migrate from spam boxes, not even to the promotion tab in Gmail, but to the primary tab in less than two weeks time because I dumped every, cause I, I, I use a system that allows me to see who hasn't even opened anything in X amount of time. And anybody who hadn't opened anything in more than three months, just delete them. Yeah. Or, or ask them a question. You, you could easily in most uh, tools today, make a subset of those people and ask them, Hey, right. I, I haven't heard from you for, in a while. What's this, what's going on? That's re-engagement. Um, 
Yeah, or um, once again, daring to ask the qu hard questions. Haven't I showed up for you? Uh, am I talking about this and this and that bores you? Should I talk about that and that? And then I have a few links there that they can answer by their own clicking. What, what could you do to be better serving them? Instead of just going, oh my, I have such a high unsubscribe list. Right. And, and thinking that the journey ends there. Right, I'm with you. I'm with you. So uh, let's get to, because we have about 10 minutes left here. I just want to really kind of tie this all together. We've used a lot of uh, simple examples to help the audience understand some of this relationship between tools and people and the power of mentorship. So here's something that I wanted to cover in the time we have left here is, you know, Rick, we're in the age of algorithms and artificial intelligence and robots. Yeah. And we found that with the speed of business, that even without the robots, we still have to reinvent ourselves every so often. Uh, one metric that I've seen commonly is every 10 years. So how can we embrace all that and maintain health in both our business and personal lifestyles? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you're spot on. Uh, life has changed and it's always been like that, but business changes faster than ever. And as you were just saying, so brilliant an example, I'm just going to copy that. You learn to understand the list because the list is managed by algorithms. Right. When you understood that, you ceased to be in the spam. When you didn't understand that, you became spam. Does that make sense? Yes. Tomorrow, the label spam will work differently and you as a business creator will have to adapt. Does that answer your question? Oh, it answers my answers my question greatly. Um, also, you know, also let's consider let's consider that uh, you know just because of the speed of business change, and I've seen this with clients that I've been working with for fifteen years, is every couple years you need to update your brand because if you don't go through that process of checking with your brand and updating, maybe you don't have to change a name, maybe you don't have to change the colors or anything like that, but other things will require you to adapt. Like if, uh, you know, here we are in 2019, if your website is not mobile responsive and you're still using one of those templates you bought from somebody in 2008 for your website, uh, I can tell you right now, uh, when I'm curating content for projects I work on, and I'm looking to cite other people's articles. If I see if it looks like it's on some ancient website, it hasn't been updated in 10 years, that actually kind of takes away from the value of the article just on yeah. site. But if I'm yeah. looking at a website that looks fresh, that has the bigger fonts and the big hero image, and I can tell by squishing my browser that it's mobile responsive and up to date and loads quickly, and it's got the retina optimization, then I'm saying, you know what, just on spec, this looks like the type of thing that people are paying attention to, and it's probably been posted more recently, so I'm going to look at this one first. Yeah, you're spot on, Adam. I think, uh, to answer, keep uh, answering your question about robots and algorithms, what we are unaware of is I'm checking that website on my phone, and if the web search engine of my choice understands, well, you're on your phone, and the first hit in my database isn't phone friendly, so I'm gonna give you the second hit. I'm unaware of that the best option was never displayed to me. Of course, that they're not gonna get my business. 
the people who understand, in this case, mobile first, will. Um, and I think we will learn <laughs> faster and faster and faster. We'll have to learn faster and faster and faster. If, uh, I can recommend to your listener a great book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah. And he talks about, you said earlier, reinvent ourselves every 10 years. He talks about right. maybe every two years. Yeah. And he talks about the change that's happening to schools right now. When you and I, I think we're a similar age, uh, I'm 45 years old right now. We're pretty when close. I grew up, yep. We grow up with looking, this is his words on mine, but school was kind of foundation. You built a house that you could, you could support you for life. And now he says school today needs to be more like a tent that you can move around to be very close to your customers. And when they, their behavior change, you move with them. Um, and then you can't build a house because that takes too long time. Uh, and I think as a business owner, we really have to look inside and be okay with change because change is scary. And it can be really <laughs> taking a lot of energy to have to look up, well, what used to be effective and working yesterday isn't anymore. What should I do differently? Yeah. And then data, we have to have data because if we're as humans going to understand that change, we're too slow. We need to have... You talked about metrics on a web page. That's brilliant to, to see and to not in over invest in hours to understand it, but having that uh, on a back burner or on a process to evaluate what's going on here. Do I does what I see make sense for me, or should I dare to ask a few scary questions? Yeah. Right. Um, and act on it, of course. Yeah, and and you know, and you know, sometimes we have to help people understand it changes happen like if i'm having a conversation with somebody say about a website and they're and they're saying that all the important stuff needs to be in the top fold on the browser right there right there i know somebody who uh is behind the times because yeah five years ago we were talking about how all the important stuff needs to be above the fold on the browser however in the age of mobile where the screen is flipped sideways, compressed by 80%, and literally the shape and the fonts change when you move from device to device. There is no top of the fold anymore. Yeah, and it's changing the device X might display it on one way and this right. device uh, two might in another way. But also going back to your question about algorithms and robots, what we're not aware of right now, you're talking about a static website, right? Yeah. What we see more and more is not static website, but websites who, okay, who are you who's looking right now? What device are you looking on right now? Uh -huh. um, and I'm quite sure you've had this happen too. You can't scroll back to something to show a friend because it's not there anymore. Correct. Um, so, so the website, we think it's a static thing, but it's not. It's highly adapting to what do I know about your needs right now? Um, AKI, if you and I check on the same URL right now, yes, so your listeners understand, we're going to see different things because yeah. I'm dialing in from Sweden uh, and I have a profile and a behavior that um, is highly visible on the web and so are you. So as you're saying, the words like that dates them and our job as business creators is to help them understand, help have empathy for there is always a reason 
why you are ahead of them in this game and help them level up alongside yeah. with you. Yeah, you know, all the everything you've said is absolutely spot on and it really just comes back to this this key theme that we've been covering for our entire conversation here. So I'm glad we had the opportunity to share this because we've looked at so much of how we can look at analytics and apply it to team development and apply it to mentoring. So this, what we discussed here may have been a little bit of a surprise to some of our listeners, hopefully a very pleasant one. And we've looked at some very key concepts that have to do with how we communicate with people and how we position the data and the analytics and how we use that and leverage that in our relationships. So Rick, we're pretty much at the top of the hour here. And I know that before we go, you got a little something to share with our listeners. Yeah. First of all, um, thanks for having me. I, lo I love talking about this. Uh, if you go, if your listeners go to ricklinberg.com slash BCR for business creators radio there, they'll find links to the two books we mentioned. Because going back to mobile first, it's really hard to type while you're probably listening to this while you're doing the dishes or driving or something. So please focus and do that later. There you will also find a link to a free 21-day leadership course that I've put up for how to level up your leadership, connect to the work that really matters, and above all, build better relationships. It's sort of the guide I wish I had when I was young, starting out and yeah. blindly doing so many mistakes. Right. Well, so. Rick, Rick, thank you so much for that. And again, I'll say it for our listeners, it's Rick, spelled R-I-C, Lindbergh, L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G. That's R-I-C-L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G dot com forward slash B-C-R-S for these great gifts that Rick is sharing with you today. And Rick Lindbergh, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Yeah, thank you. You Have bet. great fun. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Again, visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com for hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics, including the one you just listened to, that help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.